around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What happened? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast by the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Do you think there are a lot of people that listen to this that don't listen to The Greatest Generation? No. We hear about it every so often. Like, I I found out about The Greatest Generation through The Greatest Discovery. But it's hard for me to imagine somebody, like, finding The Greatest Discovery and saying, you know what I need more of? This. I just don't think of our work in that way. Like, I, I've always felt like it's a one-way street. Uh-huh. People driving the wrong way on the podcast road. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Like just don't occur to me. Jason Bourne going through the channel. I mean, but at the same time, like, I don't audition new podcasts very often. Like, I pretty much yeah. stick to the four to six that I'm always running. Mm-hmm. But the last time I started a new one, I was totally confounded with what I needed to do. Like, I tried it out. This is the suggestion that Jesse Thorne always has when he's asked, like, where do you start on podcasts with hundreds of episodes? He's like, just start where they're at and then go forward. You don't need to listen to them all. Yeah. But I started to try to listen to them all (laughs) on a new podcast I was enjoying. And it's tough. Yeah, yeah. It's like filling up your email inbox with like 300 messages that you need to take care of. Right. Yeah, there's a, a show I listen to on WFMU that's a, I mean, it's a podcast now, but it's been a radio show for like 30 something years. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of old episodes online. Like there were, WFMU was very early on in the idea of what if we put our shows out on the internet. And this show has been going for way longer than podcasts have existed. And mm-hmm. uh, I have a friend who like went back as deep in the catalog as you could get and listened to like everything that they had. And I've always been like wildly impressed with that. Cause it's like, I, I mean, it's a show I love. I still listen to it like almost every week, but it's also like, I, I don't know if I can go back to like 1999. <laughs> you know? When you and I were walking around lately, one of the things we talked about randomly was like, that we don't know how many more years of Greatest Gen there are. Right. And that maybe that's something that's spreadsheetable. Wendy, our great producer, has been like making hella good spreadsheets for us that have kept (laughs) us organized. And I bet she's got the answer. Like, I bet she knows the end date for Greatest Gen. And I have no idea when that might be. I think it could be anywhere between five and 15 years from now. We have a long way to go with this spreadsheet. But if it's five, does Greatest Discovery then just become the main show at the rate they keep putting out new Star Trek. We've always talked about the Golden Gate Bridge model of Star Trek podcasting, (laughs) which could be our... The unfortunate device used for suicide (laughs) ever since its creation. Is that what you mean? Uh, Yeah, exactly. When you finish painting, you go back to the other side and start painting again. This is not us looking for a way out. I am just wanting to... uh, I don't know, man. Like, are we going to be like 60-year-old men when uh, when Greatest Gen ends? This is a great thing to be talking about on a week when we're making our pitch to the listeners <laughs> to become sustaining members of our show. That's right, because <laughs> this is going to be the one that outlasts them all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the good news is we have the greatest discovery to to make an investment in future Trek. Right. It'll never end. 
I mean, in, unless unless the support dries up. Yeah, I guess so. We probably should have named it better. <laughs> I, yeah, I continue to have regrets about that. <laughs> Especially when you see Greatest Generation on a marquee. Uh-huh. And then the subtitle is a podcast. Like that is totally inscrutable to anyone. <laughs> Man, I just wonder if anybody shows up to any of our live shows because they saw our name on a marquee. We have this debate all the time. Like one of the things that happens when you book a tour is you get there's a contract between us and every venue, and we don't usually see that contract because it's handled by a booking agent. But our booking agent and friend. Yeah, I I, I put that in the wrong order. I sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but one of the things in the contract is how much they're going to spend on promoting the show. That right. is something that like either the promoter or the venue usually does. And it should be zero, right? It should be zero. We should get that money. Like they should just give us that money. Because anyone, any walk up traffic is going to walk out after 10 minutes (laughs) and ask for their money back specifically right but also like i put myself in the shoes of a venue like hey do you want to book this podcast they don't want you to spend any money advertising it yeah get us get us an extra hummus with the marketing budget (laughs) yeah that's that's what we should do get us some hummus i don't know i feel like we've been doing good on the backstage area the spread has been getting better and better. It's been consistent, yeah. Yeah. I've been getting good hummus this tour. Yeah. Great hummus, really. We got uh, Puff Daddy's type of tequila. We should put E Quarenta as our tequila on our rider. It should be E40's tequila. I don't want Puff Daddy's tequila. I haven't ever had it, and you're predisposed to thinking it's great, but what if I think it's shit? Come over to my house. We'll share right. a couple of glasses of E Quarenta. I thought the Puff Daddy tequila was good. It was fine. And I wanted to dislike it. It was good. It was good. Yeah, it was perfectly acceptable. The guy that founded it and then sold it to Diddy went on to found a whiskey brand with Drake. So, Oh. <laughs> Going to have to try that whiskey then. Yeah. Imagine being a celebrity booze, the other guy, serial entrepreneur. I mean, that's where I'd want to be, I think. I don't want to be yeah. the face. Yeah, no. But you want to make the deal with the artist. Mm-hmm. That way you get all the benefit. Yeah. You get to party with Diddy. Mm-hmm. I want to party with E-40. What's up with it? <laughs> you underdig? <laughs> all right. That's all anyone is going to know about our tour rider. <laughs> I mean, listen, one time we did a show and somebody had heard we like to have hummus backstage at a show and they brought like a Safeway bag full of containers of hummus to the show. How much happier would we have been if they'd brought in a Safeway bag full of bottles of Equarenta? I mean, very happy until it came time to pack. This is the problem <laughs> with touring and the generosity of the Friends of DeSoto is like, we're getting on planes and it makes traveling with as much liquor and booze gifts as we want really <laughs> difficult. That's why we keep it tight. So drink up. Yeah. It's, it's weird and hard to ship booze cross-country too like yeah. if you want even if you wanted to ship it to yourself i think it's kind of hard to do yeah i think we are doing a good job of taking care of ourselves on this tour w slash r slash t the drinking yeah things aren't getting out of hand i think no. we're i think we're figuring out our own personal level toronto being the notable exception things are not getting out of hand right i know exactly how many celery sticks and <laughs> and hummus spoons I can take 
before any show. <laughs> so far, and I don't want to speak too soon, none of us have had to leave the stage to use the bathroom. That was an almost every night occurrence the last time we went out on tour. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're going to have been in Boston by the time this comes out, so you don't know. You might have to leave me on stage again. <laughs> I mean, that, Boston's going to be a wine show, so yeah, yeah, that's how it could play out. Yeah, Boston and D.C. both are going to be wine shows. Yeah, those, of course, uh, being in the past, the only remaining show at this point is going to be Austin. Yeah, and maybe, maybe an L.A. one? I mean- Maybe we shouldn't even say that. Yeah, way to way to keep teasing a thing like that. <laughs> well, Adam, the tour is all well and fun, but do you want to get into the episode of Star Trek Picard that we came to talk about? I have a feeling a lot of friends of DeSoto are asking us to end this Marin, <laughs> to give them some amount of the title of this episode of Star Trek Picard. It's mm. Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 8, and it's called Mercy. Mercy. Ben, I noticed something in the pre-roll here that I was wondering if you had, which is the reference to nanoprobes in dialogue sounds mm-hmm. so much like nanoprobes, like nanoborgs. <laughs> That's what that, we need to call them. Did we subconsciously make that connection or is that... I wonder if the show made us subconsciously do that. Like <laughs> yeah. if we got it from the show and then we turned it around to them. It's Inception. Just a, a billion little nanas <laughs> crawling up in your face. This bloodstream is cold. You should use a moisturizer. <laughs> Are you ever going to ask that girl to marry you? <laughs> I thought you'd be further along in your career by now. <laughs> you know, I think of your granddad every day. I heard COVID was engineered in a lab. (laughs) Oh, no, Nana, you've been watching OAN again. We open at night, and there is a kid running with a flashlight through the forest. I'm just trained to believe any kid running right now is going to be Tiny Picard. Oh. But it's not, because this kid is a terrible runner. Yeah. He doesn't have a theme song. He's, uh, he's, He's running in the dark in the forest from some ETs. And uh, these ETs happen to be Volks. Surprise, motherfucker. This kid was always going to get caught. Yeah. He's just uncoordinated and flailing. I mean, he's uncoordinated until he slides down that hill like fucking Ricky Henderson. They should have Chris farley this hill slide. from <laughs> Like from Black Sheep. Vote for Donnelly! <laughs> like, how much kid versus hillside... Would you be able to tolerate on a show that took itself seriously? (laughs) Statistically, they've got to figure that out, right? Like, Mm -hmm, look, mm -hmm. he's just a little kid. He should only slide like 15 feet and no rolls. Yeah. As soon as a kid starts rolling, things become absurd. I did watch a bit of The Ready Room, and they said that um, they were considering just using the clip from Mac and Me, but then, you know, the character later in life doesn't use a wheelchair, so it wouldn't make sense. That's why I didn't see it coming. Right. Yeah. So in the present. Show present. Show present. uh, Picard and Guinan are in an interrogation room that is also an evidence locker. Yeah. It's a real dive. Yeah. If I ever get interrogated, I would hope that the room is cool as hell. 
Uh-huh. Like befitting of someone of my stature. Right. You want a The Rock level interrogation room. Indeed. As it is, like from cold open to now through the entire episode, I'm not sure any episode of Picard has felt more like the X-Files to me. I've been watching a lot of X-Files at night. Oh, really? Before bed, there is a uh, antenna television station in LA that shows it routinely, like every night at 10 p.m. Wow. So I'm taking down an X-Files episode and this really felt that way to me. Right on down to Wells, just the the put upon <laughs> agent who has to do his business in the basement of the federal buildings that he works in. This is super off the books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this definitely has basement windows. Like Mm -hmm. the windows are like the thin windows at the top of the wall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Wells is definitely wearing like a very like 90s vintage schlubby suit too. (laughs) That's very X-Files. He's got that federal agent confidence. Mm -hmm. Are you an extraterrestrial life form? He's onto something here. At least he believes it. But Guinan is the one and not Picard that calls bullshit on this whole charade. Mm-hmm. And you think this is going to get them some leverage in this moment, but Wells isn't scared at all. Wells is not scared, but also kind of Guinan isn't scared. Like she's like laughing at him when he asks if if they're extraterrestrials. I mean, we saw Space Sting die in Star Trek Generations. So uh-huh. I'm sure Elarians can die, but there is an imperviousness to Guinan's attitude here, like throughout the series, right? Yeah. That it feels like no harm will fall her, especially in a moment like this. Yeah. I mean, is do you think she's just doing the math on like, well, I this guy I know from the future and I know that for sure because he made me barf on the floor of my bar. Right. So I'm kind of made in the shade for at least another couple of centuries. As close of friends as you and I are, uh-huh. If I knew at any point we were in a room together, you could make me barf. <laughs> I could never be 100% comfortable. You wouldn't trust me? No. I think this hmm. colors their entire relationship forever now. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're closer than friends, closer than family. Boy, the service in 10 forward is pretty slow. Um, <laughs> Gaiden. <laughs> Should I tell you what my name is again and where I'm from? She pulls out the Guinan gun. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to go ahead and jump right to a medium setting of intensity. Yeah. <laughs> this trap that they're in is the cold open in the theme. And after the theme, we get a very different scene with Rafi and Seven outside the dive bar with the broken window where Girardi had been previously. They're giving Rios the update here. And Rios, I think Rios understands how bad the situation is, but he is in his own kind of hell because a <laughs> ship that he loves, his own ship, the La Serena, is just filled with Borgware. Yeah, he's pretty upset about that. This is another scene that made me think that maybe they shot a lot of stuff and then reordered when stuff was happening and in what episode. Mm-hmm. Just because this is kind of just like picking up like exactly where Raffi and Seven were. Like they called Picard in the clinic and then Picard had time to go to 10 forward, hang out with Guinan for a while, get arrested, get taken down, get booked, yeah. get brought into an interrogation room. And Raffi and Seven are still like milling around on the sidewalk in front of the bar with the broken window. I wonder how this is going to stack up when binged you know, an entire season in a day or two 
for someone, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it works, but it, it word on the street is that they had a lot of challenges with, you know, COVID protocols and stuff on this season of Picard. And, and we've noticed a lot of things that imply that there was like reshoots and mm-hmm. dialogue written after the fact and stuff. So this this is just like making my spidey senses tingle, this stuff. But it didn't like, story-wise, it, it didn't bother me. Right. It just, I noticed it from a production standpoint. This is a really long odd situation for Rafi and Seven and finding Jurati, right? Like they know she's within 15 blocks, but 15 blocks in LA, in downtown LA specifically, is just an impossible area for two people to canvas. They basically are forced to follow a path of destruction if they want to find her, right? Right. Which in downtown LA could lead to a number of places. Like there are many paths of destruction. Sure, yeah. uh, I mean, and many kinds of places they could end up. Yeah. They talked to the owner of the bar who is like not really into talking to cops about this. I've seen how I deal with nutcases. You know who he reminded me of? Hmm. He kind of looks like Admiral, you know what? My dream has always been to own a bar. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't he look to you like that guy if he had gotten out of a shower with poor water pressure and like... (laughs) His hair is, had just been pushed down a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's super far off. When he is satisfied that uh, they are not cops and believes that Seven is destructive lady's sister, he gives a gesture off in a direction and said, she went that away. And, uh, and they're like, cool, we'll follow that trail. With a man with a red beard, Ben. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. You know what? Maybe... Maybe this is a date that's just going really well. Maybe. You know, one of those dates that lasts until the morning and you just stay up all night and talk. <laughs> yeah, they're lying on a hood of a car looking up at the stars. Yeah, I bet that's what they're doing. Yeah. Can't see the stars in downtown LA, though. Too bright. Yeah. Too much light pollution. The FBI guy has some footage of Picard and gang crashing the Europa Gala. So he's kind of on to them. He's like, Why would aliens crash a gala for a space mission? And Guinan is great in this scene yeah. because she starts bartending Wells's mind. Yeah, she really turns the interrogation tables, doesn't she? Yeah. And she starts serving up some high-proof observations about mm-hmm. Wells. What makes you the man for this job? Enough that make Wells... Pretty uncomfortable, uncomfortable enough to leave. She's like, what do you got in that commuter mug? Is that full of white wine? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you are good. Because I could tell you all about your shitty life <laughs> and how you ended up here. Yeah. That'll be all for now. Where was that power at the end of the last episode, Guinan? <laughs> when this guy was allowed to walk down the stairs and arrest you? Yeah. Lock the door when you're not open. Doesn't Guinan's bar seem like the place where there'd be a lot of traps? <laughs> it does. What? Yeah, I think uh, I think I remember when we went to the uh, Ten Forward Experience in downtown LA that we did fall into various <laughs> Home Alone style traps. You did try to walk up that flight of stairs, and all the boards like flipped over, <laughs> flattened out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Picard really makes it seem as though they're at rock bottom here by being pinched. Yeah, uh, because he thinks now that. What really might be the thing that breaks the future is 
their involvement with law enforcement. Like their their presence in this room is going to be sufficient to scrub the Europa mission, you know, due to their suspiciousness, right? Right. And not because of Rene Picard. Yeah, exactly. Like if if the authorities begin to worry that the integrity of the mission is compromised, they'll just scrub the launch. That'll change the future and yeah. Q won't have had to do anything. Picard is like, God, I've heard all cops are bastards, but I didn't realize that extended to the FBI. Isn't that right, honey bunch? That's right, poopy hen. If you've forgotten about Corey, Corey Soong. <laughs> She's back in this episode. <laughs> we're reminded after a few hours of Star Trek Picard. She's still watching OnlyFans videos of Adam Soong. Yeah. Over and over again, it looks like. What are you hiding, Dad? And she puts on a VR headset that is like on the end table there. And she's able to go inside the lab she saw on her computer in the videos that she was watching. That is a cool technology, man. I thought this was a really effective bit of dialogue leading to action in a super efficient way. Like, this is not a piece of technology I feel like we've seen on Star Trek before. And yet, it is totally understandable what is happening here and why. Right. It is an augmented reality thing that can take a video and extrapolate a space from it. And when she puts it on, she discovers that Q left a message for her in here. And (laughs) all of that happens in like 15 seconds of screen time. She doesn't get very far in the simulation before Q shows up. That's for sure. He's got a pitch for her. Basically, turn on your daddy who failed me. I'll give you some blue goo. And then you're on my team. This moment seems like a recitation of information we've received before and even Corey has received before. And this is a moment that I felt like was a pretty heavy lift for any actor that Issa Briones does fairly well. Like we talk all the time about act drunk and uh, all the permutations thereof. But I think Issa Briones is made to act dumb quite a bit mm-hmm. in her characters, like always being the last to know what their true nature is. Yeah, not dumb, but like naive. Like she Right, but this moment with Q is like another version of that. She's the last to know what her truth is. Yeah, like she's watched a lot of these videos and still hasn't quite resolved it for herself. <laughs> That's why I think dumb is the right word to use. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> she's been there for days, according to the show. Am I... Right. Am I an experiment? <laughs> she's watched the episode so often, she's memorized all of these names mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of her sisters. Yeah, but uh, Q has something delivered, nicely gift-wrapped, and it's another one of these bullets with the blue stuff. And this one has uh, a tag that says freedom dangling from it. And we smash cut back to downtown LA where Seven and Raffi find Red Beardman. Gerardi has totally speciesed him. I mean, we get so little of him next to the dumpster. I'm like, is he assimilated or dead? And <laughs> as soon as my mind asked the question, Seven's like, oh, that guy's dead. <laughs> and it's because the queen doesn't have the energy to assimilate yet. Yeah. So this was like an action killing. This was another event made to up the energy yeah. inside Gerardi's body. Well, there's a lot of jargon here, but the implication is that she wanted to fuck so that she could get more endorphins and hopefully assimilate, but it just didn't work. He couldn't satisfy her. She grew frustrated, angry, took it out on what couldn't satisfy her. You know what? 
outside next to a dumpster is pretty difficult. <laughs> All right? Yeah. I think we should stop making fun of the red beard here, Raffi and Seven. We don't know that that's where they tried to do it. Yeah. There may have been a Volkswagen nearby that they tried to climb into the backseat of. God, this poor guy. Poor red yeah. beard. Yeah. I mean, do you think there was ever a moment he was happy on this date? I sure hope so. I mean, there was the moment where she said, you're coming with me, bucko. You know what? That's a pretty great moment. Yeah. The moment where you're fully optimistic. The moment before you really get to know a person. It only stings for a moment. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he did have a pretty tragic last couple of days, right? Like he was home alone, feeling sad about the collapse of his previous relationship. He talked himself into going out and seeing a band and shooting a little pool. Yeah. Maybe he did well at pool that night. Maybe he hustled some suckers. (laughs) Yeah, but he wound up with his fucking neck snapped. It kind of looks like she MacGrubered him, right? Like (laughs) Maybe she like tore out the chunk of flesh Uh, in the front of his neck. Does seem that way. It's real gross. (laughs) Ain't nothing but a McGee thing. This is the second time this episode that something not really having to do with Raffi and Seven's relationship is turned into a reason to argue about Raffi and Seven's relationship. Yeah. Because the description of the crime scene also describes Seven's inability to love Raffi. Wow. And why. And that's incredibly spot on. Can you not? We're talking about Borg ladies that can't get satisfaction from their human counterparts. Yeah. (laughs) That's the theme of this scene. Yeah. (laughs) They find Redbeard's phone not far away from the body. And with the battery taken out, it begs the question, like, what's the deal? Why would the battery be missing? And via conversation, we learn that these lithium ion batteries are filled with stabilizing metals. And they're very similar to the lidocaine that a medical procedure would introduce in order to make the second thing more possible. Like these stabilizing metals are used in assimilation so that the nanoprobes can slowly get into the bloodstream with their left turn signal on (laughs) and get to work. (laughs) Can these nanoprobes even see over that steering wheel? (laughs) Nanoprobes shouldn't be driving. (laughs) So they go around a corner and uh, discover a row of cars that have had their batteries ripped out. And I thought that batteries for cars were lead acid batteries. They are. Yeah. Do those also have stabilizing metal in them? I don't know. I just saw this as like just a cooler visual than it makes sense. Yeah. It should have been a flipped over Nissan Volt. Right. And she's taken the uh, lithium battery pack cassette out and gone to town on it. Yeah. I mean, they already depicted a Tesla being used in a hit and run. I guess they couldn't go back to that well. <laughs> right. Yeah. That th- Those are used in a different way in the show. I love how how much like a dinosaur Gerardi looks on top of this car, like eating batteries <laughs> or whatever. Hold on to your butts. I wanted to see her. Like she's holding a piece of metal in her hand like a sandwich. And yeah. I really wanted to see her take a bite of it. This is a really interesting performance. Yeah. Like, Alison Pill is really doing a lot of different things here on this show. You know, one thing she did in between last episode and this episode is get some combat boots because- Did she steal them from the Redbeard? Oh, maybe. I didn't notice whether or not Redbeard had bare feet. Yeah. 
I didn't either. Uh, but she definitely had bare feet when she went into the bar because yeah. she was dangling her expensive uh, high heels behind her when she walked away from the gala. Yeah. Maybe that was something they cut out of the dialogue from uh, Admiral, I'm just living my dream here, pouring shots the way I always wanted to <laughs> back when I had a square office job. Like maybe Gerardi walked up and asked for the lost and found and he's like, yeah, I got some stuff back here. I don't know why anyone would leave boots. Yeah. You can have these. Why did she say she wanted my clothes, my boots, and my bike? You forgot to say please. It was weird. Yeah. This is a different kind of Star Trek fight Yeah, that lights off here. This kind of reminded me of um, the character in, um, well, what's that show called? Is it Serenity, the show? Yeah. There's that character who's like a, like a head case. Or Battlestar Galactica. Who can kick butts. Uh-huh. And she's always wearing like an evening gown, but combat boots. Right. That's definitely like a 90s TV character trope, I think. I was disappointed that Seven got dispatched so quickly in this fight. Like it was one move and then a counter move and Seven is gone. Yeah. And Raffi gets picked up by her throat. And this moment lasts so long, the queen appears to be just torturing her to death yeah the queen wants to know whether they intercepted a transmission and raffi's like we intercepted no transmission this is a diplomatic mission and the queen asks if this is a diplomatic mission where is the ambassador commander tear this ship apart until you found those plans and bring me the passengers i want them alive oh yeah all right i get it now no wonder i'm president <laughs> it was interesting how the eye change is the only thing that suggested that Gerardi made the choice to save Rafi's life, right? Right. Like there wasn't a twitch and her voice comes back or right. anything like that. Like it, it's fairly subtle for what it is. Yeah. And I kind of wondered like the math that we've been brought in on here is that different emotional reactions lead to different yeah. kinds of action in the fight between the board queen and Gerardi having control. And I wondered if the stress of getting into a Star Trek fight, like seeded some control back to Gerardi because it was stressful and, and therefore not pleasurable to the board queen. I wonder if they played it all with whether or not it would be seven instead of Rafi in this moment, because mm. what I want from a scene like this is more direct contact between the queen and seven right? and how traumatic that would feel for seven in that moment, you know? Right. But as it is like Rafi dusts herself off, Gerardi walks away in slow motion and we're on to the next scene. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. 
That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. The next scene is Picard and Guinan waiting again in the interrogation room when FBI guy comes back in and he's like, boy, you are not going to believe what this guy Rios said when he was arrested by Homeland Security. It kind of corroborates everything I'm saying. It's fun to hear Picard read the statement. <laughs> Barbaric interrogation techniques. Rios uh, really, really kicked a lot of butterflies in the teeth when they first got to this time period and yeah. has not really stopped since. <laughs> it's not just this dictation. It's the Confederation com badge that is dropped onto the table as evidence of this trap closing in. Yeah. And like maybe the worst part of it is Guinan being led to another room to be interrogated separately. Like, yeah, I hated that feeling. Like with her, at least I feel safe. Right. She can always do claw hands and get them out of it if if she really needs to. Yeah. If I'm Picard, I I hate this moment. Yeah. 
he's going to be talking about how many lights there are pretty soon. Yeah. There are four lights. Back on the La Serena, we get kind of a lighter moment because uh, Teresa and her son are there watching Rios work on his computer problem. When he comes up with a fun idea to distract them, the food replicator, and it's cake time all over again, Ben. The last time we saw a scene of cake eating on the La Serena, it was Girardi <laughs> uh, making a return of the red velvet cake. Yeah. Which is represented in yeah. this scene. It's one of the four different types of cake that the replicator chooses to create for Ricardo. Do you think the Confederation replicators have some different choices from the normal ones that the Lacerina would have? Like, no non-human food choices probably mm. would be on that replicator. Probably... A lot of German chocolate cake. <laughs> what? Was that one of the cake choices the kid makes? I wonder if they don't use human shit. They use like other species shit because. Oh, because it's like a, we conquered their culture and we took their culinary identity. And now we eat their shit. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good for shit. Or maybe it's just all them actually. Like they're eating Cardassians. Yeah. You guys hungry? <laughs> Ricardo, that red velvet cake is made of Vulcans. <laughs> yeah. How did they get it so red after their green innards were ground up? Most peculiar. That's a terrible joke construction. It, we need a green cake to be the Vulcan cake. Yeah. Or a pink cake to be the Klingon cake. Grasshopper cake. Is that a cake? I don't know. <laughs> pistachio cake that's what that is it cake show is about right <laughs> i think so yeah is it star trek cake yeah cake is eternal boy a fucking 30 second internet meme they get an entire show out of it yeah. unbelievable what a time we live in this kid is on the express train to vomitville yeah. for sure and really like introduces the ticking clock to, <laughs> yeah to this scene while that sort of vomit cleese hangs over Rios and Teresa, uh, they get into almost like some role play. Like she kind of suggests this scenario where they're a couple that have been together for 10 years and have sort of drifted apart romantically and then like have a, a crazy road trip where they're they're thrust back together in, in a date-like context and start confessing things to each other. And she wants him to to lay some secrets on her in that way. When the actor who plays Teresa began this monologue, this story making, I felt in danger of getting like a, a toothache from the sugar. <laughs> I was like, oh man, what if she doesn't stick the landing? Yeah. But the story had such a weird quality because when she begins, I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is working for me. And the, the longer it went the better it got. Yeah. It's almost like how comedy works. Like if you begin a bit and it's not quite working, it's sometimes like the longer you go, the more insistent you are <laughs> to land it. It becomes funny in a kind of anti-comedy kind of way. Sure. Yeah. By the time the story ended, I was fully on board and totally enchanted by Teresa in this moment. Yeah. I, I stand Teresa. She's very enchanting. Not perfect, but I'm not that. I mean, the other 
interpretation you could have is that this is just the show turning into a full telenovela. Right. Like, most of the scene transpires in Spanish and is like way more dramatic than, <laughs> than has been up till now. But uh, yeah, she's so fucking good. Like she completely sticks the landing. I almost feel like it's a bit of a deus ex machina that he doesn't get his answer out though because that's when Ricardo announces that he has a tummy ache. I like this actor. I want to look at what else Saul Rodriguez has been in because I think she's she's great. Yeah, she rules. Like the kiss. I mean, I don't love the specter of child vomit. Yeah, but a kiss will uh, make almost anything a little bit better. Back in the interrogation room, Wells is on up in Picard's nook again. What is it about Picard that just invites a person up in there? This is absurd. Made me think maybe Wells is a Q. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Because <laughs> that's where Qs go. Yeah. Right up in the nook. Right in that nook. He makes that kind of threatening case that you see a lot in crime procedurals, which is the good cop absent bad cop right of like look i know you think i'm a jerk in a in a suit i bought in 1998 i'm the best friend you've got right now yeah this is as good (laughs) as it's gonna be because and then the picture he paints is like straight out of x files he's like yeah i'm as kind as it's gonna get because the real spooks once they get here they're gonna put you on a fucking table on a show that jonathan frakes narrates (laughs) narrates <laughs> about whether or not you're an alien having an autopsy done to you yeah yeah the bad cops are alien autopsyists uh-huh. and uh i'm the good cop the other cop is the q cop right. who is interviewing Guinan, and <laughs> i don't know if you saw just like he's out of focus in the background when the door opens and delancey walks in but he kind of trudges in like he's like exhausted by the effort to get there i love this performance by him the point that's made is he is responding to her summoning him it just took him a really long time to get there as if he had to deal with transiting there which he did took your damn time yeah and convincing people that he was an fbi agent even though he's in like an fbi cardigan maybe I love how Guinan does the hands here Yeah, when he walks in. I know. God, we want to see something come out of those hands. It's a little below the frame, though. Like, they didn't really make it a focal point. No. But it's fun. But she does it. She does the hands. Q's like, you drank the summoning? (laughs) You're not supposed to just do that. What's clear to Guinan in this scene is that the reason that doing the shot failed is because Q is dying. It's why he's snapping and nothing's happening. Yeah. It's why he had to take a fucking cab across town to get to this federal building. (sighs) Why do you think it took me so long to get here? He's not quite interpreting it the same way she is. Like, she says he's dying and he says it's something else. Like, there is a a horizon over which he can't see for the first time Mm -hmm. and... Like, it's interesting because it's like he talks about it as the temporal horizon, but also like they've gone way far back in the past. So time does not work the same way for him as it works for us. Right. But um, but yeah, like he wishes he could obliterate her, but he can't. It's interesting how differently Data and Q approached this prospect. Like they're using a lot of the same terminology about it. It's yeah. just that Q is not as excited to cross over as Data was. Data was so thirsty for death. He's like trying to talk himself into being excited. Yeah. 
Q is also not taking any responsibility for what's happened to Picard or the crew. And this whole conversation right now is one big riddle, at least to me. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I didn't choose to do this time travel part. That was their idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Guinan doesn't have any context for why this is happening. Right. Do you think she regrets taking the shot? I mean, sometimes you take a shot and you're like, God, that was the one, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was, was the one I shouldn't have taken. Tomorrow's going to suck. Yeah. That's what she's telling herself. <laughs> yeah. She's like, fuck, maybe I can find some pizza or something. Is there anything still open? Is that bottle empty now? Like, it does not have the meeting between the Continuum and the Elarians in it anymore? Like, I don't can know. you never call the queue again after that? <laughs> Is that, <laughs> yeah, could nobody ever, because it seemed like it was the one bottle. Yeah. And it really looked like that was the last of it, the way she poured it out. I hate that idea. It looked like canar, too. It, it was did, like kind of yeah. sludgy in that canar way. Right now, there's a bar back at 10 Forward that's like doing the trash and recycling. <laughs> and if Guinan didn't leave a note, that thing's going in the garbage. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I wonder where the boss is. <laughs> she didn't even lock the door when she left work. What the hell? So Q walks out of here and kind of leaves Guinan to stew on the conversation they just had. See you when I see you, unfortunately. Back over at Casa de Sung, <laughs> Adam Sung tries to apologize to Corey, I guess. If you even considered this an apology, it's yeah. kind of an explanation apology. He's not coming correct with the quad box like he needs to. Yeah, he uses a lot of uh, the word if. Mm-hmm. It really is that like awkward next morning, like I kind of went crazy last night. Yeah. I talked to you about you as being my greatest creation. That wasn't cool. <laughs> if I hurt you, I'm sorry. <laughs> but this is the thing. Like, he doesn't know how much Corey knows. And Corey is armed with all of this evidence. Yeah. Maybe the worst part is all of the crazy names that she recites at him, like in his yeah. face. Like, who gives people these names? Despoina. You never thought about... Like the other kids making fun of them for having these names. Persephassa. They were obviously never going to live long enough to go to school. Yeah, yeah. Cruel. And that's just sad. (laughs) He admits that she's an experiment, but he denies that that would make her any less his daughter, which I felt like he didn't even like see how compelling that could be. Like if he just... Yeah. Like if that was his honest truth, he could have sold that, but he it's not really. It is just really ugly how Sung describes himself and his relationship to his work. Yeah. Ugh. Like really grossly articulated. Yeah. And the way a narcissist genuinely would defend this, like right. you're like the achievement of my force of will. And And also like how narcissistic is it? In his reaction when Corey leaves, it's not like concern for Corey leaving for Corey's sake. It's that he's enraged by the possibility of losing his great creation, by losing the possibilities of that. You don't exist without me. No, you follow me, I call the cops. And it now really feels like he's as dangerous as the Borg Queen right now in his own way. Like, totally. Borg Queen. Definitely number one, but like the look on Brent Spiner's face when she turns and leaves is so withering. Yeah. You really feel like everything's on the table here. 
Corey's like kicking off her slides and stepping barefoot into the grass as fuck you, dad. Yeah. The grass feels nice. <laughs> it's an amazing moment. Yeah. She plays chicken with the sun and wins. <laughs> Not many people do that. Meanwhile, in downtown LA, Seven and Rafi are just getting back on their feet after their ass kicking by Nana Borg slash Gerardi. I'm all right. Come on. No, I, I'm, I'm almost all right. I didn't see their phaser. Their phaser got knocked away. Like, Gerardi kicked it in the fight scene. I, I didn't see it ever get recovered, and I'm wor- really worried about the phaser right now. Yeah. Good call. We got to find that thing. Yeah. Can't leave that in the past. What if Chronoworks get their hand on it? My products benefit the entire world. What's good for Chronoworks is good for everybody. A Rain Robinson cameo in one of the last two episodes would be great, right? Oh, it really would be. What's up? Be some solid stuff. Everything you guys do is just a little bit off. Rain, you're fantasizing. And you're insulting my intelligence. Well? Not in an empty stomach. I don't want to be disappointed by having that kind of hope. <laughs> I'm sorry I suggested it. This is another moment used to create an argument between Rafi and Seven, right? Yeah. They come up with the idea of like, okay, this dude's phone had the battery pack ripped off the back of it, but maybe if we plug it into the tricorder, we can boot it up and get some idea of where she might have gone. And while Seven is working on this technology problem, Rafi admits to her that she does manipulate people. Seven has been accusing Rafi of being a manipulator. And the flashback is of Rafi and Elnor hanging out on the La Serena. The first lines Elnor has gotten in a lot of episodes. Yeah, no kidding. And it's an Elnor that has not yet matriculated at Starfleet Academy, who's theoretically there to be learning something from Rafi, but he's just radical candoring her to death there's honor in truth <laughs> oh yes it's funny how for so long we've seen scenes where having a conversation with a co-op malat can be like frustrating or irritating or yeah any yeah. number of things but like raffi can hang in a conversation and it's interesting how her passive aggression is like an equal amount of power against the radical candor like they really right. can spar effectively in a conversation and it's a conversation that Rafi ends up kind of winning. Yeah, because his idea is like, maybe I'll defer a year and go to Vashti and kind of a few more people in half before I start my studies. And she doesn't want to lose him. She doesn't want him going away. Hey. Yeah. It's your life. When we come back to the present, she's kind of processing this as a, like, I feel guilty that he got shot because if I had manipulated him... Out of going to Vashti, he wouldn't have been there, but he chose to learn, hmm? and therefore he is dead. Choose to learn. <laughs> That's what they say when you uh, when you take the oath at Starfleet Academy. Yeah. Then you slice your graduation cap in half when you graduate. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen uh so they find the search history and they're like fuck why was she searching that Ugh. what is a porn hub <laughs> we come from a future where we don't have these things we just have quarks bars and right hollow sweets back at casa de sung like i'm really starting to get the bends on on like how much time has passed the passage yeah. of time thing in star trek picard season two not 
something that we have a good grasp of. Because he is like seven eighths of the way through a fifth of whiskey. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you're really upset, I guess it wouldn't take you that long to do. But I love this composition, Ben, because Dr. Sung is literally at rock bottom at the bottom of his <laughs> stairs. And in walks Nanoborgs slash Gerardi at the top of the stairs as his salvation. He's like a Renaissance painting. And he goes, what are you doing here? Yeah. Stomping on in in those boots. Yeah. She's like, I took the 101 <laughs> to the 405 to the 10 and I got off at PCH and took it all the way up here. <laughs> Have you been working on your Californian's accent? It's really sharp. <laughs> Just living here, I guess. Yeah. I assume a lecture on the futility of resistance is not going to be necessary. So a new alliance is sort of formed here. Yeah, don't like that. You'll get over it. Back in the interrogation room, shouldn't Picard have needed to go to the bathroom like four times by now? <laughs> Still got the catheter in from uh, uh, from the last episode. It's taped to my leg. <laughs> in my time it's called a stadium pal <laughs> we learn in this scene that uh the europa mission launches 19 hours from now so now we know what the passage of time is going to be henceforth yeah uh Guinan flickers into the room like the lights flicker and then Guinan is sort of like in a ghostly way present and she's repeating back some stuff to Picard about how humans always live in the past. And we cut away to Guinan in the other room and she's like got the nosebleed of somebody that is doing a psionic thing that is right at the edge of their ability to do it. Yeah, it's a very Stranger Things effect, isn't it? It is. Picard's like, uh, I'm Jean-Luc Picard and it breaks the spell and Guinan just shits her pants. <laughs> <laughs> Ben, I would never hang out with you if you could make me vomit on cue. I couldn't do it. But I can make you shit your pants. You can. You don't seem to mind that. <laughs> that is weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of funny. I've gotten so used to it. <laughs> you know, that makes me a lot like Picard in this scene. Yeah, yeah. Very comfortable just letting it go. You remember how my friend started interrogating you? Well, now I shall... Why are you here? What makes you so interested in me? Obviously, you're not the best and brightest the FBI has to offer, or you'd be vivisecting me. Right. Right. Maybe there's some kind of deal that they can come to. Yeah. This guy starts going back into his own story, and it, he is the boy in the forest. Right. He is the boy that gets caught by the Vulcans when the Vulcans were doing a bunch of Vulcan shit in the woods. <laughs> Does a Vulcan shit in the woods? <laughs> I mean, that's the easiest show title we've ever, ever, ever found. That's it. Yeah. There it is. That's right. It was right there the entire time. Uh -huh. What he describes is a easily discernible to Picard as a mind meld. This Vulcan was trying to erase the memory of what this little boy walking alone in the forest had seen but got beamed away too quickly. He got beamed up mid-meld. I mean, this is a thing that if you're a younger Vulcan, I think you probably think is real, but really isn't. Like, there's no such thing as blue meld. Mm, yeah. Like, this guy was not able to finish, but he right. was clearly fine 
when he beamed yeah. back to his ship. Well, it's like these young Vulcan guys on Pon Far will kind of say anything yeah. to get what they want. They're like, oh, it's either I have to do combat or have sex. There's no other thing. How about just a tip of a finger? <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> That'll do in a pinch. Show me what he did with his hand. If you give a Vulcan a cookie, though. Yeah. This interrupted mind meld is what stops the men in black effect from happening to right. Wells as a kid. He remembers. And he, like... Like Pepperidge Farm. <laughs> you remember. <laughs> and Picard is like, I know a lot about being a child who misinterpreted a thing that happened in a dark place and uh, has been... <laughs> there it is, Ben. <laughs> like you you asked the question in the last episode about the sequencing of some things I really yeah. wonder if this hits better with a little more air between last episode and this yeah because I don't think there's anything wrong with it per se no but but it's just, it it's is proximity. the proximity thing yeah that is a little bit clunky you're just like me in a way <laughs> the other thing that's clunky is Picard saying like that was no monster it was a Vulcan and then cutting back to Wells and him like sitting down in a chair like oh I never considered that yeah he doesn't know what the fuck a Vulcan is no he doesn't he doesn't know what a mind meld is (laughs) Picard could explain this a little bit better but mind meld kind of is what it says on the tin right I guess so yeah you don't open up the package of mind meld and there's a bat left inside right he kind of chooses to believe Picard it seems like this is well this is like lawyer picard coming back right like the the music swells yeah and picard has turned him yeah the the deal was we'll confess to each other like you tell me a secret and i'll tell you a secret and picard's like my secret is that i'm actually the hero of the television program and i am here to save the entire galaxy it doesn't seem super far-fetched if you totally buy Wells's crusade, like yeah. if he only ever joined the FBI to prove the existence of extraterrestrials for himself. And I think that's a bit of dialogue that's really important here, right? When yeah. when the danger of whether or not other people are going to show up to take Picard to be vivisected, right. that's not happening because Wells was in it for him. And because he found out the true nature of Picard and that there is the reality of life on other planets like he's satisfied to be done with that crusade yeah pretty pretty amazing lawyer picard moment yeah in a life history of amazing lawyer picard moments you want proof of your crusade well (laughs) here i sit (laughs) back on the la serena rios goes over to the transporter and Ricardo like sidles up alongside him and starts banging on buttons as Ricardo has been doing. And Rios discovers that the transporter is offline and he goes, we've got a big problem. Where are our shits going to (laughs) go? And he points over to Ricardo and he's like, specifically, where is that little shit going to (laughs) go? Because he is now full of cake and complaining of a stomach ache. Yeah. And Teresa is super late for work at this point. Like yeah. there's a lot of problems linked to the transporters being out. That's a great call. What's going on at the free clinic right now? Doors are unlocked. People are sitting in the waiting room waiting to be seen. Hey, we got to make a bet. Okay. Is Teresa going to the future? Just like Dr. Jillian in Star Trek Four? 
And when she goes to the future, is she going to like knee Rios in the nuts right yeah. at the last minute and say, I took an assignment on another ship? Yeah. <laughs> Her world's going to get really big. <laughs> I could do a lot better than this guy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how it's shaken out, right? Yeah. But that would also be sad too, right? Because she's doing so much good in her time. Like to take her off yeah. the board in her timeline would actually be a sad thing. It would be a sad thing. I mean, I think it was sad in Star Trek Four. Like Dr. Jillian was a uh, an important voice for the maintenance of old trucks. <laughs> she single-handedly <laughs> kept her mechanic in business with her total piece of shit jalopy. <laughs> I have a notorious weakness for hard luck cases. That's why I work with whales. We don't want to be in any trouble. So the FBI guy comes in with like a banker's box with a participation trophy and an orange and... And takeout food. <laughs> the stuff in this box really cracked me up. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like in a prop department... There are like three different versions of the banker's box of a guy who's leaving his job. Yeah. And they're pre-filled. It's just off the right. shelf. You just take right. it off and it's ready to go. Yeah. It's perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's all like glued together yeah. so it doesn't shake around and cause mic noise. That orange isn't going anywhere. No. No. That's a that's a plastic orange, my friend. Stunt orange for sure. Picard is like, I thought you filed a bunch of paperwork. I thought we were totally screwed. And he's like, yeah, that was just game. I was trying to extract a confession. Now I quit and I'm going to uh, stand here by the door and let the two of you get out of here. Yeah. It's interesting how the episode saw fit to give Wells an ending. Yeah. It's not just that his entire life's work has been completed and there's like a sadness about it. Right. But that like Guinan gets an opportunity to counsel him and like implores him to kind of reframe this experience as a positive. Like you get the rest of your life, man. Like terrible moments don't just have to be terrible. They can be inflection points for for good things down the road. Yeah. And I feel like she should kind of look at Picard as she's saying that. And maybe in a weird way she is. Yeah. Well, and I also just think like there is a corny ass storyline where they're like no we have an fbi agent on the team and he's gonna use the full power of the federal government to solve our future problem you know and yeah. like yeah like, i'm so fucking glad that that is not happening this is a plot that is not getting the police escort to the season <laughs> right. finale you know right that would suck ass yeah um Instead, we go to Malibu, where Gerardi is now, like, I don't know if they're, like, doing something sonically or if this is just something that Alison Pill is doing in her performance, but she's starting to kind of speak the way that Nana Borg speaks. Yeah. Even, like, her accent has changed a little bit. Yeah. There's a fun expression she's borrowing, too. Yeah. The pitch that she makes to Adam Soong is, you can let Corey go. You can uh, become a founding father of the future, or you can like hang out here and drink yourself to death and I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it all has to do with whether or not he allows Rene Picard to fly the mission. Yeah. If she flies the mission, it's vomitville for Adam Soong. And if she doesn't, he ends up saving humanity and gets all the credit for doing so with a bunch of statues in front of buildings. Right. And I mean, if you're given that choice... That's a choice that makes itself, right? He wakes up and chooses statue. Yeah. 
But first, Picard. You got to get him out of the way. Right. Jean-Luc Picard, I should say. Right. They got to they got to get his ship. They got to get strapped. Yeah. This is the big takeaway from this episode is that like what the queen really needs is like the biggest energy source of all and it's not going to come from any car battery or cell phone. Right. The La Serena is really the place to be if she wants to take over. Yeah. And everyone in Guinan's bar learns of this together. Yeah. This sort of seems like it's maybe goodbye to Guinan for the season, right? Yeah, this moment made me sad because I really liked having her around. But it does yeah. seem like there's a weight to this goodbye that is significant. So Picard and Raffi and Seven head out. And the idea is we, we can go use Talum's smoky door to get to the La Serena. Finally! It just sucks that Talon and Guinan don't get along because like, we could hop through that smoky door right now. But they can't even be in the same room. Yeah, yeah. And also, it sucks because... Like all three of them take shits before leaving her bar because they know that when they go back, it's, you know, it's going to be out of the picture. (laughs) And she's like, really? All three of you fucking shitting up the bar? This is personal. I'm the admiral. I get to go first. (laughs) I'm pulling shit rank. Yeah. Then Rafi manipulates Seven into going last. And then Seven resents Rafi. I'm sure Seven's seen some pretty ugly shits on the Borg ship, right? Oh, man. <laughs> Those guys take techno dumps. I mean, you remember the wide shot the very first time we saw the interior of a Borg ship, right? Like, there's just a river. Like, there's an open sewer running through every Borg ship. That's <laughs> true. The last moment in the episode, Gerardi is starting to really look Borgy. She's getting a little bit gray of skin. She's got Borg nanoparticles in the tip of her finger. Soong has arranged for a bunch of soldiers of fortune from uh, the private military operation that he's done work with in the past to be uh, detailed to them. And Gerardi jumps into assimilating them. We're going to have Borg special forces on our hands. Who's in the mood to add a little of their biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. And that is the dun-dun-dun to the end. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're going to have Borg's special forces on our hands, assuming the rest of these guys don't start shooting when they see what she does to the first guy. (laughs) That's fair. That's what they should do. (laughs) Quite the dun-dun-dun. When you were done with the episode, Adam, did you Mm. find that you had enjoyed yourself? I hadn't thought about this question until you were talking about this final scene, but it totally relates to whether or not I I like the episode or not. Is Adam Soong totally insane? And the reason I asked that question is he does not interrogate Q's identity hardly at all. And when Nanoborgs shows up at his house, who does he think she is? Because she keeps on talking about like what she could do for him. But at no point is Adam Sung like, how do you know all this stuff? And <laughs> how are you able to do that thing with your fingers? And why are you turning gray? There are like really logical questions that I feel like any character could and should be asking at any given moment with her. 
Right. But nanoborgs can just wander into any situation unchallenged, just at the most basic level. Just like, hey, why do you look like that? Is a question <laughs> no one asks. Right. And it's kind of a magical thinking that that Adam Soong has here. And I wish just for a moment, especially with Nana Borgs, like I'm fine with Q, like the, the magic that Q can provide in terms of the medicine for his daughter is like sufficient to blow minds. So I understand why he wasn't, why asking what Q was wasn't top of mind. But like he spends a lot of time with Nana Borgs. Yeah. And there may be just a lot happening off camera that we don't get, but I really want to know if they're going to be in league together for another couple of episodes. I want to know what the foundation of their relationship is more than the potential for him to have a statue built and like the idea of his legacy. Like he's got to trust her. And I don't know that there's enough there for that. I think there's a crucial moment in his argument with Corey in this episode where he like, rejects categorically the idea of reality as being something that only schmucks buy into. You know what? That's the answer to my question then. It's because he's rejected reality, he doesn't need to question the characters that come into and leave his life. And so he's yeah. totally riding Adam Sung the ride. Right. Yeah. He's a uh, he really is. And I mean, fortunate for him reality is totally implausible yeah. at every turn. So, so it's easy to reject. Like it's easy to interpret reality as being something that only sheeple live in or whatever. I'm glad we talked that out because that was a detail that, that got past my mind goalie. But now now it totally checks out. Yeah. It's a, it's a very weird, weird episode. I, I, I hadn't thought to put the lawyer Picard framework around the interrogation scenes. But I, in retrospect, I think I like them more yeah. with that as a way to think about them. The episode we just watched and the one before it both feel really messy in terms of scene order and timeline and proximity to each other and a bunch of other things. But Wouldn't it not surprise you if they were swapping scenes between episodes for like the last three? Not at all. Yeah. But I think that... Despite that, like they wind up with three episodes that are pretty successful on their own merits. This is a quality to like video production that I really struggled with. Like when I made a video series right. for a client, sometimes scenes would end up in subsequent episodes and not where they were intended and stuff. And you watch and you edit so often over the course of days and weeks that like you just lose whether or not it makes sense. Right. Yeah. You you know all the things, so you don't remember what has been established and what hasn't been established yet and stuff. Like editing at a professional level for film and television. I really wonder how difficult it is on some projects to just hold it in your head like that yeah. and what your notes are like in order to keep things straight. I can't even imagine. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things that is like, this is why like hundreds and hundreds of people work on an episode of television like this because yeah. like you need that many brains like holding it together to yeah. make it happen. Yeah, it's really wild. Yeah. Well, uh, do you want to go check out uh, if there's anything really wild in the P1 inbox, Adam? Sure do, Ben. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, the one thing that holds together episodes of The Greatest Discovery is the support 
of the Friends of DeSoto that go to MaximumFun.org slash join. This is a Max Fun Drive episode right now, which means we have no Priority One messages. Yeah, but if you'd like to get a P1 for a future episode, it's MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. And if you'd like to be a member and you're listening to this after the drive, uh, you can always do that. It's MaximumFun.org slash join. Become a monthly member. Yeah, and while this isn't a moment to read a priority one message, it's probably a great opportunity to just say thanks yeah. for supporting the show. Thank you. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I'm going to go with Gerardi this time. All right. Slash Nanoborgs for finding the most intense combat boots. Yeah. Off screen in between the two episodes with no explanation for where she got them. <laughs> yeah. There is a deleted scene of combat yeah. boots guy. Yeah. That's yeah. probably pretty fun. Yeah. I wish we'd gotten that. Like Nana Borgs is an excellent pool player and decides to like bet a guy for his boots. <laughs> or a lady. I mean, they're, they yeah. seem to fit her pretty well, you know? Yeah. But you know, Nana Borgs knows all the angles. Yeah. On a pool table. It's true. Um, did you have an Edward Larkin, Adam? It is kind of crazy the way Rios just chooses seduction and beams Teresa and her kid to the La Serena. Chaos. <laughs> I mean, that is way out there in terms of decisions. Yeah. But I think Rios choosing seduction is sufficient for an Edward Larkin nomination. So yeah. for that reason, he's going to be mine. He gets a kiss from the the beautiful Teresa for his trouble. You know what? You got to smush some butterflies in exchange for that kiss. I think think it's worth mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I'll smush all the butterflies if it leads me to pitching a tent in my pants camp for Teresa. You know what? He's smushing for a chance to smash. <laughs> you know what? That's a totally incoherent t-shirt, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, We have two episodes coming out next week. Next week, we will have episode nine of Star Trek Picard and episode one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And uh, Wow, really? Really, Adam. We're going to drop our recap of Star Trek Picard on the third on Tuesday, and then we will have an extra episode on Friday next week about the first episode of Strange New Worlds. The day after that comes out. How do we do all this? Ben, it seems impossible. <laughs> we do it because we have an amazing producer and editor in Wendy Pretty who looks at a calendar and actually understands what she's looking at, unlike you and me, right. <laughs> and tells us what we need to record and when in order to get stuff turned around in time. I'm really, really excited for this. I think it is so cool that we're able to keep up at the pace of release that the Star Trek Industrial Complex is releasing episodes. So uh, tune in for both of those next week. Thanks, Wendy, and thanks to everyone who's supporting The Greatest Discovery during Max Fun Drive 2022. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxford Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced by me. Next up on Star Trek Picard, it's Episode 9, Hide and Seek. Picard and crew fight for their lives as they come under attack from a new incarnation of an old enemy. 
Thanks to Adam Ragusea for the original music that we use on this show. Make sure you're subscribed to his YouTube cooking channel and his new podcast. And thanks to Bill Tilly, who handles all the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek and use the hashtag Greatest Discovery to talk about the show online. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. shit adam and ben are always funny oh yeah they've never they've never misspoken once (laughs) maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported